If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and we will conclude our series today, but not the desire to obey, the series on making disciples, and uh, today we uh, conclude it by the first week we talked about the foundation of disciple making, and that is knowing that God loves you um, and that you are loved and adored. The second was the family or the framework of disciple-making and the call to be who God has made you to be in front of others. We talked about the fuel for disciple-making last week, how God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we are not left alone and there's power to walk with Him. And today we're going to talk about the focus of disciple-making, which is new life to maturity, the focus of disciple-making. And to do so, we'll look at Matthew chapter 9. Next week, we will begin a new series, um, more typical to the series that we do at TCC, going through a book of the Bible. And we will be going through the book of Ruth starting uh, next week. So looking forward to that, the book of Ruth. But today, we're in Matthew chapter 9. And I would love to read verses 30. 5 through 38, which will be our text today. I'll pray and then we'll dive right in. Word of God says this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, and pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we ask For the power of your Holy Spirit to descend upon us. So that we understand what we haven't understood. So that we apply what we may have never applied. So that we love in ways we have never loved. Father, we ask for a depth of experience and relationship with you. That transcends all other relationships that we have ever or could ever have. And so Father, in these moments... We want to genuinely, your church wants to genuinely follow you, obeying all that you command. Father, help us to be and to make disciples, not just as individuals, but create the culture here that as a family, this is what unifies us. The mission to obey Christ. So please, be near to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So why did Jesus give us the command to make disciples? Why? I think there's three reasons. These are not the points of my sermon. I think this is just the preamble. The first one is because babies need to mature. And a second one is because spiritual lostness is tragic. 
What do I mean by babies need to mature? Well, when Jesus speaks what is known as the Great Commission, His send-off command that kind of summarizes and clarifies this love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same command as make disciples of all peoples. Go. And then He says, baptizing them. You only baptize, according to the New Testament, after someone has, who once rejected Jesus has now embraced Christ as their only hope, and then you baptize them as a reflection that they have died to sin and they are alive in Christ. God has made them new. has given them new desires, new affections, new everything. It's in seed form, but then it grows over time. So when he says make disciples, he's talking about, yes, what might be known in the church as evangelism, speaking the gospel to lost people so that then they would come to faith and you baptize them, but it never stops there. It's not the end of the story, it's the beginning. Because you are also teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded them. Sometimes known in the church as discipleship. I think we've pulled those two things apart. Jesus says make disciples. You reach lost people. They become babies in Christ and then they grow up into maturity. What a tragedy it would be if people who come to faith in Jesus stayed as babies. It would be a tragedy something like this picture. If you've ever seen the movie Elf, he is there eating spaghetti for breakfast with a bunch of these candies and you have your Pop-Tarts and his, one of his four major food groups is maple syrup. Okay, we watch this, we laugh at this, we think it's hilarious and it's because in part you have someone who's in his 30s that never grew up. And although it's fun to laugh at in a movie, if we were spiritually this way, we would call it a tragedy. Why did Jesus say make disciples? It was not only so that we could become babies in Christ. It would be so that we would not stay perpetually here. But we would grow up. We would refuse to believe that you kind of, once you're in, there's nothing else left. I've got it all. No, you've got the seed and you must grow into a relationship with Jesus. And to the degree you neglect him, you neglect life to the full. And if you are indifferent to loving God, thinking that you've got some get-out-of-jail-free card, a pass of saying some prayer at some time, you might prove yourself over time to never have genuinely been made a child. Because those who have been made a child, they want to be with their father. Why did Jesus command to make disciples? Because babies need to be mature. They need to grow up. And why did Jesus make disciples? It's because spiritual lostness is tragic. It is tragic. Someone lives in a modest house and they have a bank account that could serve 10 lifetimes over. But they're saving it up and they're walking to their house and they're just doing life. They're just going to uh, work and they're just watching movies. They're just hanging out with some friends and they're just 
you would be like, well, that's their prerogative. That's no big deal. But what if I told you on the front of their lawn, what they walked past every day to get into their front yard were 30 individuals who were homeless and destitute and aching and wanted to live a life of fullness. They had ambition, but they had no access. What would you say to the one who had all of this, but kept day by day walking by this tragedy? There would be some sense that that picture is wrong. It's unjust. And we have everything that we need spiritually if we are in Christ. We have a message that has hope in the midst of suffering and encouragement in the midst of struggle that has words of wisdom because the Spirit of God is within us to counsel others. There's this sense of we have power to live a new life, power to overcome sin. There's so much we have going for us. We have the promises and promises and promises of Jesus being for us. We have his nearness. We have the Father who's not against us but for us. We have all of this and walking by spiritual tragedy every single day. If we have all of this, isn't it a picture of injustice and a lack of love? To just walk by the one who will spend eternity apart from Jesus in a sinner's hell if they do not surrender to Christ. How will they know if they do not hear? Jesus commands us to make disciples because babies need to be mature and spiritual lostness is tragic. But there's an actually a deeper and more foundational reason, and it is this. Because God's glory is worth it. There is no greater treasure in the field. There is no greater delight in the universe, and His greatness and glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and He invites us into the privilege of proclaiming Him and watching Him change lives and invade hearts and then be reflected in life after life after life after life. That's why the church is meant to be so shockingly different. It is many people, as imperfect and limping along as we are, filled with the Spirit of God, who get the privilege to reflect to a lost and dying world and to one another the goodness of their Savior. That's why he says make disciples. We get the privilege to show him off. And this is why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, after hearing what I've just said, that's the why he gives us the command. Now the question is how. How do we make disciples? What does it look like to make disciples? Four quick ways. We should marvel at the master. Two, we make disciples in relationship. Three, we pray and pursue those without Christ. And four, we go living sent. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. He says this, And Jesus went throughout all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And then he goes on to say, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
Why does he tell us, right before he's about to tell us the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, why, why are we told about these miraculous, amazing deeds of Jesus? That he heals every disease, every affliction, and he finds himself teaching in the synagogues. I'll tell you why. It's found a few verses earlier. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, we hear of Jesus doing this again. And he says, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds, what? They marveled. They were amazed. They stood astounded. This is why Jesus came. The miracles were only to foreshadow the greatest of all miracles, and that was Christ who would live the life of perfection and die on a sinner's cross and would rise from the dead three days later. We, as followers of Jesus, are meant to begin making disciples by staring and gazing at the Savior. How do you make disciples? You marvel at the Master. You look at him like you would the most multifaceted, largest, most expensive diamond. You seek to gaze at every angle and every facet. You don't get tired of looking at Jesus. Disciples are known for looking intently at Jesus. That's why Jesus beats the drum over and over in John. Abide in me. Abide in me. Be near to me. Spend time with me. Behold me. Look at me. Enjoy me. That's why we began this whole series. With we will never have the energy to love people until we know how much we have been loved. The cross screams it. His word confirms it. The resurrection says he's got power, power to continue to give it. And he sealed it within our hearts by giving us the Holy Spirit saying, I love you if you trust me. I love you. And so then we love because we have been loved. We love not for security, but we love from security. When you love for security, when you love for people's approval, you become controlling, you guilt people because you, they are trying, you need them to fill up what is lacking in you. But when you realize there is nothing lacking in you because Christ loves you and he is with you and in you, then you love from security. And when you love from security, you no longer use people, but you serve them and care for them and you help them see Jesus. When I was in Memphis, Tennessee, um, there was a friend of mine who has, um, in his house, he's got this plaque that's up there, and the quote that he has on this plaque is this, let nothing but Christ dazzle you. One of the early church fathers, St. Ignatius, said this, let nothing but Christ dazzle you. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is in another category than every other relationship for you. He is the sight of sights. He is the treasure of treasures. He is the joy of joys, the pursuit of pursuits. He's the Savior of all your saviors. He's the Lord of all your other lords. He is everything. There's no one like him. No one can rival him. No one can outmatch him. No one satisfies like he satisfies. He is my Savior, my Lord, my treasure. 
I love him. And he has miraculously come and said, I love you. Now go love others with that same love. What is so tempting when we talk about disciple making is I can just press really hard on your will. Really hard. If you're really a follower of Jesus, go make disciples. Let's do it. It's like a military move. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to do that. Jesus' commands stand alone. We must obey his commands. There's another way to motivate. There's another way to encourage. There's an individual who says this. His name is Antoine de Exupery. He says, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. That's what we're doing right now. If you love the beauty and glory of Christ and you know how much He loves you, and then you look at people who don't have that relationship, they don't have that hope when they're suffering, they don't have a different type of perspective to look at the world. They are lost in their sin. And they will justly experience a sinner's hell because of their choices, their rebellion, their rejection of our Savior. May we not step over them to walk into comfort anymore when we see the beauty and glory of Christ the vast and endless sea of people that need the love of God, we will learn and figure out how we get to them and how we speak grace. So friends, love being loved. Love that God cherishes you and walk around in that security because Jesus tells us the next way to make disciples is not just to marvel at the master, but it's in relationship. It's in relationship. This is where he says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, so remember, he's teaching among them, in and among. That's a helpful principle to think. Disciple making is in and among, not at a distance in a book. Disciple making is in and among. It, it requires relationship. Relationship is the context for disciple making. And so where do you find Jesus? He's in and among. He's touching hurting bodies. He's healing diseases. He's teaching them to obey Christ's or God's commands and his commands to them. And what do we find? That when he's with them, verse 36 tells us what happens. When he sees the crowd, he is moved with emotion deep in the gut. This is not, the, the picture here is actually, the literal word is like moved in the bowels. But don't think you know, regularity. Think a sense of emotion. A depth that you can't touch with your hands. A depth of affection for the people. Because why? What does the text say? He saw them. He was with them. And they were harassed and helpless. I can think of no better description of those who do not know Jesus and I can think of no better description for us who know Jesus, who have distanced ourselves from Him, than us who are harassed and we're helpless when we lean on ourselves. 
And Jesus says, I look at them and they're like sheep without a shepherd. But church, we know we've got a shepherd. A shepherd who promises to speak to you. A shepherd who says you will hear his voice. A shepherd who says, I can satisfy every one of your longings. A shepherd who says, I will lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. We have a shepherd. Many in our neighborhoods, parks, workplaces, families do not have a shepherd. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're hurting. This week, there was a group of us that um, there's a partnership that our regular gifts to the church um, funds, and that is a partnership with Southeast Raleigh High School. And several went out to Southeast Raleigh High School this uh, Thursday morning just to tell the teachers that we appreciated them and that we in, uh, were encouraged by them and that we were praying for them and that we as a church loved them. And so we just got uh, Chick-fil-A and we got them a lot of food and we got them some coffee and just shout out to all those who helped. It was such a gift to watch God at work in and through you. But I'll tell you what happened. It shifted from a line item in a budget to a group of people. As I walked the halls of Southeast Raleigh High School and I shook the hands of these teachers and I saw how frazzled some of them were at the End of a long year. Real lives. And I look at these students longing for acceptance. I look at these students. Some of them were graduating and they had a graduation ceremony. And I think they are going to go out and they're going to leave an imprint. What kind of imprint will they leave? Will it be for Christ or for themselves? And my heart begins to break at the lostness. Why is that? Because disciple making happens in relationship. It happens when you're walking alongside people, not at a distance, thinking about them as ideas. Some of you, it's one thing to have a neighbor. And you see them when they leave their stuff out or they don't pick up after themselves or it affects you in some way. It can frustrate you. But it frustrates you less when you begin to know their name. You realize some of them never had a father or they grew up abused or they were never taught what it looked like to raise children because they had to raise themselves. And all of a sudden, you begin to shift from judgment about my possessions to brokenness over their lives. How does that happen? How do you get moved to compassion? It's in relationship. It's touching real people. It's listening to real stories. It's engaging people where they are. Not just when people can really get dressed up. Maybe not physically but definitely put on the best front here. So friends, we make disciples in relationships. And that's why we have to shift from disciple making as a formal class to disciple making as what you and I are doing in everyday life. 
Parenting is disciple-making. Being married is disciple-making. Being a neighbor is disciple-making. Working is disciple-making. Going to the park is disciple-making. Working out at the gym is disciple-making. Whether it's by example, whether it's by word, whether it's just by listening to others, you are constantly showing people a way to live. And you will talk about what you love. And you will want what you love to be loved by others. This is disciple making, if we have eyes to see. But Jesus goes on and he says, then in verses 37 and 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Do you see both the opportunity and the problem? What's the opportunity? The harvest is what? Plentiful. Many people will come to faith in Jesus. The problem, the laborers are what? Few. What's the answer to the problem? Therefore what? Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. What's really interesting is that laborers are few. His first words are not, well then go be a stinking laborer. It is that, make disciples of all nations, but it is you become a laborer by communing with the Father. And as you commune with the Father, He shapes your heart into a loving person. He reminds you of His care for you, and He begins to equip you and empower you, and you begin to pray for the harvest to come, and all of a sudden He aligns your heart to want lost people to want Jesus, and then all of a sudden you are ready to go. Disciple-making begins in prayer. I spent some time, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this before, with a man named Lee Strobel. And as Lee Strobel, he's written a book, Case for Christ. If some of you, I said this before, I'll say it again. If some of you are not followers of Jesus, you might find yourself agnostic or atheist. I really encourage his book, Case for Christ. Because what is really clear, both in his book and also if you YouTube several um, debates that happen is that there is a strong confidence that Christianity is sufficient. That worldview is going to win the day. And when Jesus says you have a hope that will not be put to shame on that last day, on that last day when you read that book or you see those debates, there's the sense of, that's right. My chips are all in in the right place. But when he was sharing, he shared with a group and he asked this question. What if Jesus lived in your house, what would you find him doing? And he says, what was interesting, as you read through the Gospels, before every major movement of the Spirit of God, Jesus was found what? Praying. That's why he calls out after being moved with compassion and seeing that the harvest is plentiful. People will come to faith in Jesus. The laborers, those who want to go out, are so few. And he says, begin in prayer, because that's how Jesus began so much of his mission. Not just one time, but many times. That's why he teaches his people how to pray. And when Lee Strobel was talking, he asked this question, and it cut me to the heart. He says, not only do we have Jesus' example to pray, 
But what if Jesus said this to you when he was in your house? This week, I'm going to look at that past week and I'm going to answer every single one of your prayers that you prayed last week. His question was this. How many people would have come into the kingdom of God? How many people would have been transferred from darkness to light? Our Savior says, ask whatever in my name, and this I will do, that my Father may be glorified. And here he says, pray. Pray earnestly. May our disciple-making begin in prayer. Prayer for that neighbor. Prayer for that family member. And don't give up. There's story after story after story of people who have prayed for not just one month, but one year, eight years, nine years. Literally, some have prayed for 20 years. And then God calls the heart to topple. Don't quit. Don't quit. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would not only send out harvesters, he would not only send out laborers, but what Paul says, open a door wide for the gospel to go. Pray that. Oh, may we pray that people would come to faith in Jesus. And as you pray, you will grow in this strong sense of sensitivity. Lee Strobel also shared the story. He said, I had this... He used to be an editor for the Chicago Tribune. And so he was in the building where the Chicago Tribune was. He was going downstairs. And there was just this strong impression from the Spirit of God. Those come. That's called the voice of God. And we will hear it imperfectly. We won't be perfect in our discernment. But that happens the more you commune with him. And so he's heading down. And as he's going down to the elevator, there was just this strong sense. I need to go up and talk to this friend. He gets to the bottom floor. Hits the top floor again. Goes back up. And his friend is an atheist that works with him at the Chicago Tribune. And as he's up there and he begins to just say, hey, I just felt compelled that I needed to come up and talk to you. And I know where you stand with God, that you're an atheist, you don't even believe in him. But he says, do you have any questions about your view of God? And this man was like, no, I don't. He was like, uh, do you ever think about God? The man said, no. Why are you asking these questions? Okay, this isn't going so well. So then he says, do you like music? And the guy was like, yeah. He says, my church has really good music. Would you like to come to church and listen to some music with me? And the guy was like, no, I don't want anything to do with your church. And he said, well, I felt compelled to come and talk to you. And he just laid out the gospel. He laid out the gospel of how he knows that this man was turned off because of Christians who were saying one thing and doing another. But he said there was a Christ who lived a perfect life and died and rose from the dead. And if you trust in him, he can make all things new. And the guy was just hard. And he left. And he said, as far as he knows to this day, that man is still an atheist. And for years he wondered, why God, why did you stir my heart to go back up? Eight years later, when he's speaking at a conference, a man comes up to him and says, hey, and he introduces himself. He says, I actually used to work at the Chicago Tribune. Do you remember me? No, I don't. He was a janitor. 
He says, I don't even remember talking to you. He says, you actually didn't. But there was a day that I was behind the desk on the floor cleaning. And when I was cleaning, I heard you talking to some guy who was really angry at you. But you talked about the beauty of Jesus and how he want, you wanted him to become a part of a local church and that you were there for him. And he was just like, I went home. I couldn't get off my mind. I talked to my wife and I said, I got to go to church. And so I went, went to church and God's gospel came in through that church and saved him. And he said, I want you to know I'm a child. Lee Strobel called it ricochet evangelism. It's like, boom, 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 gotcha. It's how the Spirit of God works. Why would he say pray? Because when you pray, God hears your prayers and you get closer to him and he stirs you and prompts you and moves you. And you speak. And so what do we do, friends? What do we do? with this last piece when he says the harvest is plentiful. People are out there who will come to faith in Jesus, but the problem is the laborers are few. What do we do with the problem? We pray, but we also then go labor. The last point is to go live sent. We said it last week. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit of God. It is not for the professional. It is not for those with a title. It is for you. The last I checked, there are more lost people in our workplaces, at the gym, in the, place, the parks, in our families, than there are in this room right now. That's why God chooses to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Like me and you. Disciples will be made. They will be made in regular ordinary jobs. Through regular ordinary people. To see regular ordinary people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We minimize so much being out in the workforce. But you are among the harvest. And he says you are a laborer. Go. Go. Pray, but go, because the harvest is plentiful. I'm going to make disciples. Do you really think that he has gathered 200 plus people to call themselves as Treasuring Christ Church without intending to use them to make followers of Jesus? That's not how it works. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Go make disciples. In ordinary places, in ordinary times, in ordinary relationships, we watch ordinary people come to faith in an extraordinary God. That's how God works. Friends, we have stories like this. I can't tell them all. I know of a businessman who spent time doing a Bible study. There's actually two or three of these stories. They just did a Bible study with some coworkers. They began to listen to a coworker. They met a coworker in the midst of some pain and struggle that they were going through, and they just gave a listening ear. Those are three different examples. And in all three, over time, in relationship, these individuals came to faith in Jesus. These are people in our church living as lights in their workplace, watching people spring up and come to faith. In Jesus Christ. 
We have an example of a stay-at-home mom who got to know her neighbors and began to just walk alongside them and live life with them and begin to ask if they would like to study a passage in the Bible together. And they said yes. And over three or so years, they studied the scriptures and they answered questions and they, they struggled through things together. And now these people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have one woman who was a teacher And for three years, she saw zero fruit, zero progress at all, but kept praying and kept praying. And then the light flicks on for one. And that one at times has been coming to church and the gospel is breaking in and they're having conversations. This is happening. And I invite you into the mission to go and to live sent where you are and no longer relegate it to someone else and to stop using an excuse that you don't have what it takes. What I have seen is those who believe they don't have what it takes, that's who God uses. Because you're disarming. People will come to you and they'll share their mess with you. And so I encourage you, invite questions. And when you don't know them, discover them with the people. Rather than trying to put on a pretense that you know everything. Good night, you don't, I don't, we don't. It's okay. I promise you this. God not only can, He will use you to make disciples. That's a promise in the Scriptures. And so I just want to encourage you. How are you making disciples? There should be no excuses because you are loved. How are you making disciples? No excuses because you are empowered by the Spirit of God. No excuses because He says He will use you to make disciples. No excuses because the Gospel is power unto salvation. For all who believe. No excuses because Christ is with us and we are never alone as we share the gospel. We have everything we need. Now go live sent. I want to encourage you. We're going to take a time of reflection. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to follow Jesus at his words, to not stay a baby in your faith any longer, but to follow him in obedience? We as elders want to encourage you. How miraculous would it be if over these next eight months in 2018, we all chose one. One person to pray for. One person to invite in our homes. One person to reach out to. One person to listen to their story. But one person. Lee Strobel even said that what they did in their church one time was they did a one-one-one campaign. One person, for one minute a day, at 1 p.m., they prayed. And then he said there was always somebody who said, can I do two people at two, for two minutes at 2 p.m.? And he was like, hey, you overachievers. Who might be your one? As I've been talking, and as we have been talking for the past four weeks, Some of you have been looking for people to pour into and you're thinking about, you know, who might I go out and find? But I want to encourage you. That might be what God is choosing for you to do. But I want you to look at where you are. I want you to look at the relationships you already have. Those are there because God loves you and God loves them. I want to encourage you to look at the relationships you have around you. Some of you, you do need to say, maybe there's someone in here that you feel burdened to spend time with. It doesn't matter. The question is, who is your one? There are sheets of paper up here and there are pens. 
And we're going to have a time of reflection and prayer. And we as elders will commit to pray as you commit to pray for this one. And so we're just going to have a time as our musicians come up after I pray, we're going to just have a time of reflection and to ask, what does it look like for you to make disciples? What does it look like for you to obey Jesus and to follow him wherever he leads? Oh, may God do it and create a culture of disciple making here at Treasure in Christ Church. If God has placed upon your heart a one, I encourage you to come and to write down that one name, to fold it up and to lay it up here. If you want some people to pray over you about that one, just ask. There will be some people up here ready to pray for you. But let's spend some time in reflection. You don't have to have it all together. In your weakness, God promises His strength will show up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that now as we spend this time of reflection that you would move. That you would move. And God, as one pastor says, this is the huddle, but the game is out there. And so we are gathered, we are learning, we are being raised up right now, we are being equipped, but we are being equipped to go in confidence to live sent. Help us, O oh God, to not relegate this command to anyone else, but to say our joy and healing is intimately connected to obeying Christ and making disciples. Father, bring names to mind. Bring relationships into people's lives. Bring intentionality to our eyes and our voices. Father, may we not be silent. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Move us to prayer and move us to mission. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.